wouldn't believe him deserved what they're getting. There's lots of people who howled him down for crying drought, and lots who've been on his side. Would have cheered him up if he'd lived. His home was down this way, I understand, said the Adelaide passenger. Yeah, place about 2,000 acres called Mount Marlow. You can see it ahead, just right of that line of pines. They took his body to Adelaide for cremation and flew the ashes back and scattered them over Mount Marlow. Nice-looking place from the road. I'll pull up and let you take a peep at it. You're staying with John Luton, you said. You get off at the bridge. Thanks. Yes, Mr. Luton invited me down for a few days fishing. The kingfisher in, he tells me. Coming around. Bit early this year. Where you from? To this frank question, the passenger proffered a lie, as the driver's curiosity was due to habit. They came to the line of pines bordering the road and offering a magnificent windbreak to the pasture lands beyond. Then, into the line of trees, grew the white sandstone pillars of a gateway where the bus stopped. From this point, the plebs could get an eyeful of Mount Marlow. The wrought iron gates were swung wide. The driveway ran straight between wide borders of flowing daffodils, all the way to the large house crowning a low hillock. There were people on the wide patio, and the oblique rays of the sun gleamed on the chromium of several cars, standing against a green wall of Lambertianas. To the right of the house of colonial architecture squatted an observatory as though denying all interest in the heavens, and still farther to the right was a long building flanked by rows of white boxes on stands and white-painted cylinders elevated like mortar barrels. There had lived and worked Ben Wickham, who had had many enemies and many followers, a famous meteorologist whose death terminated a stormy career marked by professional jealousy, governmental stupidity, and by fierce opposition from commercial and certain financial interests. From this Mount Marlow had been flung challenges. From it had issued defiance of obstruction. To it had looked, with ever-growing confidence, farmers and graziers from all over Australia. Ben Wickham had predicted that last year would be very dry over certain areas. He named days when slight and useless rain would fall. It was so. He had predicted that this year would be disastrous in named areas. His forecasts had proved to be 100% accurate. And then, having removed the gamble on the weather for the man on the land, he had died. The circumstances of his death were not, it might well be said, quite respectable for one of his affluence and renown, and no newspaper reported them. The local doctor didn't hesitate to sign the certificate, and the relatives readily carried out the dead man's wishes regarding the disposal of his ashes, according to the newspapers. "'Yeah, nice place,' repeated the driver, and drove on beside the windbreak following the gentle decline to the bridge which crossed a royal river. Uh, "'You get out here, sir. That side-track will take you to Luton's cottage. Less than half a mile. See you again sometime.' The passenger stood beside the highway and watched the vehicle cross the bridge before taking up his battered suitcase and turning to the unmade road skirting the riverbank. Here grew great gums, and between the trunks the sheen of water dappled with sunlight caught his eye, and that same eye noted the fallen tree litter and the ants working close to their nests, for when the sun set it would be cold. The river drifted beyond screening gums and lower bush, and presently the track debouched onto an open place where three evenly spaced tree giants guarded the river to the right, and a white painted picket fence guarded a small weatherboard cottage to the left. 
At sight of the stranger, two dogs bounded from the broad veranda to race to the gate and bark with more welcome than hostility. When the wayfarer spoke, they turned themselves into the shape of an S and escorted him along the cinder path, dividing plots of growing vegetables. Reaching the veranda ahead, they barked again, and this time there was the faint note of house guardians. Then the front door swung open, and onto the veranda stepped a man. He was twice the traveller's weight, seemed half as high again, and was certainly twice his age. The white hair, clipped short, was plentiful. The full white moustache failed to hide the stern mouth and the rugged chin. Most men begin to decline at forty. This one hadn't begun to decline at eighty. "'Good day,' drawled the traveller in the manner of the inland. "'Are you John Luton?' "'I was this morning when I woke up,' replied Mr. Luton, examining his visitor with eyes extraordinarily clear and vital. "'I think I know who you are.'